Good morning, everyone. Everybody doing good this morning? Still with us? Yeah, that's good. That's good. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at FAC. I'm really excited uh, to get to speak to you from God's Word this morning. Um, I don't know if any of you have, have ever taken your kids on a trip to Disney World, uh, whether you have young kids now or whether your kids are grown, and, and at one point you, you took them to Disney World. We've taken our daughters a couple of different times to Disney World, and if you've ever experienced this, you know that leading up to the time of the trip, there's just this huge amount of excitement and anticipation, especially if your kids like Disney movies, if they like the Disney characters. They're just so excited to go to Disney World and experience this in person. And so this picture that I'm painting for you, if you've ever done this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But as you get down to Florida and, and as you're driving onto the Disney property, you start to see signs with all the characters and, and the excitement just begins to build. And you get to the parking lot and you park your car and you jump on a, a tram or maybe the monorail, whatever park you're going to. And let's say you're going to Magic Kingdom and you get there and you get out. Of course, now you have to go through a big long line of security and then go through the ticket area. And, and then you're finally into the park. And you walk through the ticket area and everything just kind of opens up and you're there, Main Street Disney. And you can see the big castle. You can see all the characters and all this waiting, all this excitement, all this anticipation. Your kids are finally seeing it live and in person. And they go to meet their favorite characters and they give them a hug and they have them sign their autograph books. And just all this excitement and all this anticipation just becomes real for them. But the event that we're going to be talking about this morning, it was full of excitement and anticipation as well, but for such a bigger purpose. It wasn't just for the sake of entertainment or, or cartoons or, or the sake of an amusement park or anything like that, because what would happen just a few days after this event would change the course of history. And so it's such an important thing. And of course, we're talking about the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, the, the final week of his life. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles with you, just want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 19. And as we look at this story this morning, we're going to look at it a little bit differently because we're going to look at how this story impacts our worship. Our worship as individuals, how the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, changes the way we worship and the way we praise. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 28. In verse 28 it says, And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He's in this, this town outside of Jerusalem called Bethpage, and, and he had just gotten there. And so it's interesting that he knows exactly where this colt is going to be. He knows exactly where it's going to be tied up. He knows, exa- he knows the fact that this colt has never been ridden. It's never been sat upon. And so Jesus sends two of his disciples to, to go get this cold. He explains exactly where it is, and, and he also knows the questions that his disciples are going to face. And so he gives them the answers that they need. 
It says, when, when you go to get this colt, when you find it, when you untie it, and, and you're asked why, say the Lord has need of it. And so that's exactly what happens is to, the disciples go and they, they find the colt just as Jesus had said, and they get it. And the owner comes out and he's like, well, what are you guys doing? Why are you untying my colt? Why are you taking my colt? And they say, the Lord has need of it. And so now at this time, Jesus and his disciples, they'd have been pretty well known in that area. And so maybe this man, maybe he was a follower of Jesus. And so just hearing that the Lord needed it was enough for him. Or maybe this was another way that Jesus was working supernaturally because uh, the things that he had done on earth, obviously he was capable of doing that. Uh, but either way, it was just as Jesus said. And so his disciples, uh, they, they get the cult and they bring it back to Jesus. Now, there are three things that, that I think we need to understand uh, uh, the significance of a donkey, of a cult, and why Jesus would choose a cult to ride in on. The first thing is this. In those days, a cult was a sign of peace. It's a sign of peace. See, many of the people, many of the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they thought Jesus was going to come in as their king, as their savior, and maybe he was going to overthrow the, the Roman Empire. That maybe he was going to be a military leader or a great political leader, like some of the kings that they had seen in the past. And that it was going to be like uh, when, when the Israelites went into the promised land and they defeated all these kings and all these nations to take over the promised land. Or maybe when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt or, or the Babylonians or, or whoever it was throughout all of history. But this time was different. This time it wasn't about uh, the, the present troubles that the Israelites were facing. God was there for, or Jesus was there for a bigger reason. He was there to fight a spiritual battle. And so that's the first thing we understand, that the, the cult represents peace. The second thing is that this particular cult, has, as we already said, had, had never been ridden. And in those days, that, that carried significant meaning as well. Because a colt or a donkey or a horse that had never been ridden uh, meant that that particular animal was set aside for a specific purpose, maybe even a holy purpose. And in this case, it certainly was. Because Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, the Savior, the Messiah, he was going to ride this colt into Jerusalem. The third thing that we need to understand is that this was a, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. If we look at the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. This is how Jesus needed to come into Jerusalem. This is how he needed to ride into Jerusalem. And if we define the, the word out for colt in the Hebrew that would have been used in Zechariah, uh, we find that it means one that would bear a burden. And we know that donkeys and colts, that was kind of their purpose. They, they would carry things that, that people didn't want to carry or that they couldn't carry. And this colt was certainly going to carry a burden. It was going to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. But I think there's even more significance there because of what Jesus was going to do. He was going to bear an even greater burden. He was going to take on our sin and our shame just a few days later. So it's important that we understand the significance of all that's happening in this story. Let's continue reading in verse 36. It says, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. 
saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so Jesus is, is riding down in, into the city. He's riding down into Jerusalem. This crowd has gathered. All of his followers are, are there. And the first thing that they do is they begin to put their cloaks down in front of Jesus as he rides in on this donkey. And that seems like kind of a weird thing to do, kind of an odd thing to do. Why would they put their cloaks down in front of Jesus as he's riding on this donkey? I don't know if you guys have, have ever been to a, um, to a Renaissance festival or a Renaissance fair. Um, but back in Ohio, where, where my wife and I are from, we used to go to this Renaissance festival every couple of years. And this thing was just a, this little Renaissance village that was built out in the middle of a big field. Uh, and it, it was always funny to me because um, the, these people that would work there, they would have their medieval costumes on, and they would not break character for anything. They just did not break character. But it was always a lot of fun. Is great food. Who doesn't like to walk around with a big old turkey leg, right? Chewing on a big turkey leg. Um, there's a lot of fun games for kids and, and uh, fun shows to watch and all of that. Uh, but like I said, they never break character. Even if you get into a conversation uh, with them, they, they have their, their costumes on, their outfits on, they speak in, uh, uh, in, in a British accent. And even if you get into a discussion about modern day things, they just will not break character. And so at the uh, Renaissance Festival every year, at least the one way we went to, there was a queen who was selected. And the queen would kind of walk around the village and greet all of her people. And she would always have her servants around her and all of that. And this one particular year, it had been raining really bad. And like I said, we were just out in the middle of a field. Uh, and so there's a lot of mud, a lot of puddles. And she's walking along this path. And she comes to a point in the path uh, where there's this big mud puddle. And so she just stops and just kind of looks at it. She doesn't walk around it. She doesn't choose to go a different direction. She just stops and she waits until one of the guys, one of her servants that are with her, takes his outer layer off, his cloak off, throws it down on the puddle so that she can walk across. You know, I thought about that, and and really he was doing that out of obligation. He was doing that because he had to do it. That was part of the role that he was playing that day. But when we think about the story of Jesus and Jesus riding into Jerusalem, these people weren't throwing their cloaks down out of obligation or because they felt like they had to. They were throwing their cloaks down because they were recognizing Jesus for who he was. They were seeing him as a son of God, as their Messiah, as their Savior. And as the passage said, they remembered the, just the great things that he had done, all the miracles that he had done, how he had saved people, how he would raise people from the dead. The way that he taught was so different than anything that they had ever heard. So by throwing their cloaks on the ground, it was their way of honoring him. It was their way of saying, we believe you are who you say you are. And then the next thing they did, it says they begin to shout out in a loud voice, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If we were to look at the other gospels at, at Matthew and Mark, their accounts would say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we define that word out, Hosanna, in the original language, it literally means, save us, we pray. So that's what these people were saying to Jesus. They were saying, save us, we pray. They knew that he was capable of saving them. Also, the rest of that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's part of the Hebrew word for praise, which is barak which means to kneel, to praise, or to thank. And so these things that they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that wasn't something new that they were saying that day. It was actually a psalm that they were repeating to Jesus. Psalm 118, 
verses 25 and 26 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord, or Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so Jesus was riding in uh, to Jerusalem during the, the time of Passover. And what would happen during Passover is uh, Jewish people would come from all over. These Jewish pilgrims would come to Jerusalem so that they could come to the temple and could worship and could offer sacrifices to God. And on their way to Jerusalem, they would come through Jericho. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem was about 20 miles. And so it was a pretty good walk. And it was also uh, getting up to Jerusalem was about an elevation of 4,000 feet. And so they literally had to ascend up uh, to Jerusalem. And so there's this group of Psalms, um, Psalms 113 through 118, that are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And these five songs, they would repeat and they would sing and they would shout out as they were making the climb up to Jerusalem to go there for Passover, to worship and to offer sacrifices. And so what we have to understand about this is, is these, are, these are words, these are, this is a psalm that these people have been singing for generations, for years and years. They have been singing this particular psalm about Jesus in excitement and anticipation for their coming Savior. But it's different this time because he's actually there. He's right in front of them. So when they are crying out, save us, we pray, they are saying that to their Savior that they have been longing for for so long. But not everyone is convinced that Jesus is the Savior. Let's con continue reading in verse 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so the Pharisees still don't get it. They still don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They still don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. And so they expect Jesus to rebuke his followers to tell them to, to stop calling him their savior. But he says that if, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. So in other words, one way or the other, Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to be praised today. I'm going to be recognized for who I am. Because in order for the rest of the, the events of the week to happen, Jesus had to be recognized as the Messiah. He had to be recognized as a savior. Our worship team right now is, is reading a book together, and this is something we do every once in a while. Um, but the book is called How to Worship a King, and is written by a worship pastor named Zach Neese. And the book is, is all about um, taking a look at worship in the Old Testament and, and looking at the tabernacle and the instructions that God gave to Moses on, on how they were to worship and how we can look at that and apply it to our own worship. And I'd recommend this book to anyone who's looking to go deeper in your worship uh, and to dive into to worship in the way that it's explained in this book. Uh, but there's a portion of the book where he's specifically addressing this verse, Luke 19, verse 40, where Jesus says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The author of the book says this. He says, as for me in my house, may the rocks never have to praise God because we have failed to offer praise. May the rocks never have to praise God because we have failed to offer praise. And that's my prayer for my life. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for this church that the rocks don't have to cry out because we failed to do it. The rocks don't have to praise God because we failed to do it. 
that the rocks don't have to recognize Jesus for who he is because we failed to do it. And I love that quote, and I love what he says and his commitment to worshiping God in that way. And I think there's so many things from this story that's giving us an example of, of how we should worship God, how we should worship Jesus. And Jesus gives us a great example a little later as we look at verse 45 of Luke 19. Skip down a few verses. Verse 45 says this, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, this could be a whole separate message, this part of the story, and, and we're not going to get into all of this today. But the part I want us to get from this part of the passage is this. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, right? He rides in as the king of the Jews, as, as God's son, as a savior, as the Messiah. And he rides in on a donkey. That's not typically how a king would arrive in those days. If you're a king in those days, you're coming in with horses and military and chariots, and, and you're going to make you're going to make a huge appearance. You're going to make a show, a spectacle of this. Because if you're a king, most likely you're a conqueror. You've conquered somebody, other militaries, other kings, other nations, whatever it is. If you're a king, that's that's who you are, and you want people to know it. You want people to see how powerful and how great you are, and and maybe even how rich you are. But that's not what Jesus did. He came in on a humble donkey. And then from there, he, he didn't throw a big party for himself. He didn't want a ton of attention. The very first thing he did as he comes into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. He goes to the place where they worship, the place where they make sacrifices. That's the first place that he went. And yeah, what he saw there disappointed him. And, and he did something about it. But the point is, that was his first move to go where God's presence was. Now, he didn't have to bring a sacrifice because he had lived a perfect life. He had lived a sin-free life. But also, he was going to be the sacrifice just a few days later. So he was bringing himself as a sacrifice to the temple. And the great thing is, is that just a few days later, when Jesus died on the cross for us, and then when he rose from the dead, he changed everything. He changed our worship because up to that point, you had to go to the temple or in the Old Testament during Moses' days, you had to go to the tabernacle. That was the place that you had access to God. That was the place that you made a sacrifice and that was the place that you would worship. But once Jesus died on the cross and rose again, all of that changed because he made a way so that we could be temples for the Holy Spirit. Now, everywhere we go, we carry the presence of God. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Now that passage specifically is talking about sexual immorality, and that's not what we're talking about today. But the point is the same, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a building. We don't have to go to a specific city to worship any longer. Wherever we go, we carry the presence of God. And everything we do is potentially an act of worship for God. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And Peter in this letter, he's talking to Christians. And so what he's saying is you are being built up as a spiritual house. You are a place where God dwells. You're going to be a holy priesthood. And the purpose is to offer sacrifices that are one, acceptable to God, and two, through Jesus Christ. That's so important for us to understand. Not only are we temples of the Holy Spirit, not only do we carry God's presence, our job is to bring sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And the only way that we can do that is through Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the door. In some translations, it says gate. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, until Jesus came and died on the cross in order to worship the the Jewish people, the Israelites, they had to walk through the gate of the temple in order to enter into God's presence. But now Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am the way. I'm the way that you can have access to God the Father now. It's through me. That is how how you worship. That is how you come to bring your sacrifice. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we access God through the gate that is Jesus? Scripture lays it out for us. A really popular psalm, Psalm 100, says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Again, when this psalm was written, that would have meant something a little different. Because when they came in the gates of the temple or the gates of the tabernacle, they were actually walking through a literal gate and they were supposed to come with thanksgiving. But now Jesus is the gate for us. And so how do we walk through the gate that is Jesus? It's with attitudes of thankfulness. And what we're supposed to be thankful for is Jesus and what he did for us. And the fact that he came to earth and he gave his life for us. That's where our worship starts starts with an attitude of thankfulness. And then the next part of the verse, it says, and his courts with praise. So we enter into God's courts with praise. When we define that word out for praise in the original Hebrew, the word is tehillah, which means a hymn of praise. So literally a song of praise. So we're thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. And then we enter in with a song of praise. And then the rest of the verse says, give thanks to him and bless his name. That word for bless is the same word we talked about earlier. That means to kneel, to praise, and to thank. And so really there's, there's three things that we need to do to enter into worship in order to see uh, Jesus as our gateway into worship. The first thing we have to do, we have an attitude of thankfulness. We're thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us. We put everything else aside, everything else that's happening in our lives. We put all of that aside. And I know that can be difficult to do sometimes because we go through some difficult things. But if we believe that Jesus is our savior, if we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then we can put all of that aside and we can recognize Jesus for what he did on the cross for us. Because we know that whatever we're facing is only temporary compared to eternity. And so we come in with a heart and attitude of thankfulness. The second thing we do, we lift up songs of praise to God. We lift up songs of praise, recognizing him for who he is, for all he's done, for what he's going to do. And then the final thing is we kneel. We bow, sometimes physically, but sometimes just in our hearts. We bow in reverence to God. We surrender our entire lives to Jesus 
Because remember what was happening in the temple when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he went into the temple, he saw the people selling and doing all the things that they were doing. He drove them out. He turned over the tables. He said, you've made the house of God a a den of robbers. And sometimes in our lives, now that we are the temple of God in the tables of our hearts, we let other things in. Chasing after success or money or putting our families ahead of God putting things, putting stuff ahead of God. Maybe it's temptation and sin that we allow into our hearts and we put those things ahead of worshiping Jesus and being thankful for Jesus. And Jesus just wants to come in and turn over the tables of our hearts and purify them and clean them so that we can have an attitude of thankfulness to him. And so those are the three things that we can do to access God and worship and to come through Jesus as the gate. We're thankful We praise him and we surrender everything to him. And so here's the takeaway for today. Here's what I want all of us to take away. First off, uh, as a church, as a congregation, here's what I want us to walk away with this morning. What would it look like if every single person in the room today, every single person that calls FAC their church home would commit to this, to worshiping this way? would commit to coming in every Sunday morning. We know that worship can happen anywhere at any time. But if we're talking about Sunday morning right now, if everyone would commit to coming in Sunday morning with a heart of thankfulness, with an attitude of thankfulness, putting aside whatever happened that morning, I know it can be stressful getting your family ready for church, but you put those things aside. Whatever you're going through in life, your health issues, your financial issues, relationship issues, job issues, you put those things aside because you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And you understand that whatever you're facing is only temporary compared to eternity. And that's because Jesus died for you and you are thankful for that. And that's what you were driven by on Sunday mornings when you come in here to worship. How would our worship look different? If we would put aside all of our personal preferences if we would put aside all the things that we think should happen, if we'd put aside uh, what we think the sermon should be that day, what ministries our church should offer, how our church can serve me. If we put those things aside and just come in with a heart of thankfulness because of Jesus, how would that change our worship? Not only how would it change our worship here at FAC, how would it change this community for the kingdom of God? when a group of people is that committed to worshiping in unity and being thankful for Jesus. And Jesus is the number one thing that we focus on. And then secondly, as individuals, if we all as individuals committed to worshiping that way, to bring an acceptable sacrifice of praise each and every day to God, what what would that look like in our own lives? If we woke up every morning, And we just spent time being thankful for Jesus. And I know that's difficult too. And I'm bad at this as well. Because we have things we need to get done in the morning. We got to get our families ready. We have places to be. We got to get to work. So many things to do. But what if we just stopped and paused and decided every single day, I'm going to be thankful for Jesus. And I'm going to make sure he's at the forefront of my mind before I start this day. How would that change our interactions with our family? with that frustrating coworker, with a client that's driving us crazy, 
How would we see things differently? How would we see opportunities that God puts in front of us if we would just choose to be thankful in that way? But the good news is this morning is what we're here talking about, this event that led to Jesus eventually giving his life on the cross. If we're not there in our worship yet, that's okay because of grace. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave his life for us, for forgiveness, so that we have grace and when we confess our sins to him, when we confess our shortfallings and any time that we have uh, fallen short of his glory, the Bible tells us that he is faithful to forgive us. He is faithful to forgive us and he purifies our life if we will come to him and confess our sins to him. And so that's what we need to do. Maybe that's our next step. For some, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. And what a better time than right around the Easter season. When Jesus came to give his life for you, to make a way for you, what a better time in return to give your life to him. And if that's where you are, if you would like to live a life of worship like we've talked about today, if you would like to have uh, this life of thankfulness for Jesus and what he's done for you, we would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about how you can take your next steps towards Jesus because that's what we're about here. That's what this church is here for. That's what we're about, to see people meet Jesus. So I'd love to talk to you about that. But I believe that's what we can take away from the story of Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we should look at the church and the way we offer our praises, we are called to, to offer uh, a right sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Lord, if, if we've spent any time in church or maybe if we grew up in church, it's such a familiar story. And it's one of those, it's so easy just to, to read over and say, oh yeah, I remember that. I, I know what happened in that story. But it's so important to dive into the context and how all the different parts of the story carry such heavy meaning. And Lord, we thank you for your word and, and what it teaches us about so many things. Uh, but this story, what it teaches us about worship and how we can better praise Jesus and, and worship you because of, of this story. So God, I pray for every person in the room this morning, uh, wherever each of us, uh, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, um, in our lives of worship, Lord, that we would commit to taking this next step. And we thank you that Jesus made a way that he became the gate for us, and that's really the next step for any of us, that we walk through the gate with thankfulness each and every day. Lord, I pray that for every single person in this room. And God, as we go into this time of offering, thank you for those who give faithfully at this church. Lord, this is just another way that we can show you that, that we want to put you above everything, including our finances. God, I pray that the money that is given this morning will go to further your kingdom, will impact our community here, not just FAC, but our community so that others can, can meet you. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.